Zoe, do you know what my favorite thing is about you? What? Everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Happy Valentine's Day, motherfuckers. Oh, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to a very, very, very (laughs) special. (laughs) Where we will again be reading to you the same horny, cringy Trotsky quote. (laughs) We can't stop. We cannot stop, and we will not stop. Okay. (laughs) On today's show, we have Hope, Laura, and Zoe. Hooray! So uh, I did the math, I counted the days, I looked at the calendar, and (laughs) determined that this episode is going to be coming out on Valentine's Day or a day before it if you're one of our lovely Patreon supporters. So we thought. We would go down the rabbit hole of horny history. Mm -hmm. We are going to be graciously, generously delivering to you a choice selection of spicy quotes um, and then a little bit of details around these sultry selections. You're welcome in advance. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, this we hope would be something that is in. It drilled into the the skulls of every person who listens to Season of the Bitch. But, you know, because we're talking about some sexy shit, I just wanted to uh, remind everyone that consent is a enthusiastic yes from the person that you're having a sexual encounter with. Um, or sending a letter to. Yes, or sending a letter <laughs> to. Yes, even before sending someone a sext, truly, like, don't just fucking do that unless you, like, have that already communicated somehow. But it's just, like, consent is sexy. You got to do it. It's non-negotiable. Uh, if we hear of any of you assholes not getting consent, you're canceled and we will come for you. And that's about all I wanted to say before we jumped in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I um, social media has just in general made everything fast and like uh, faster, more immediate, worse. Just like I, from what the research I was doing for this episode, when you're thinking about letters back and forth and how long it took to communicate with somebody or like you know writing a book and getting it published, I don't know. I just feel like it terribleness used to take more time. Is the bottom line. And yes. now, as soon as, um, like, you put something up, you get terribleness right away. And I hate that. So, uh, in the spirit of that, I'm going to start this off talking about the love letters between Eleanor Roosevelt and Lorena Hickok, who she called Hick. And I just love reading these. They're really colorful and funny and passionate and I think definitely of the era where people are reading a lot of this really breathy uh, kind of like fiction and stuff and so I feel like you can sense a lot of that in their letters back and forth to each other they had a 30-year relationship um, they, yeah they spent a lot of time together um, and then when they were apart because they were both very busy working on things um, they wrote letters back and forth uh, they were very very close and it seems like more than speculation that they had a romantic relationship, but obviously given like the, uh, her role in the public eye, um, that was something that the family wasn't very explicit about. Mm. Um, so here is an excerpt from one of my favorite letters. Um, and it's from Lorena to Eleanor. She says, dear, I've been trying today to bring back your face to remember just how you look funny, how even the dearest face will fade away in time. Most clearly, I remember your eyes with a kind of reassuring smile in them and the feeling of that soft spot just northwest of the corner of your mouth against my lips. I wonder what we'll do when we meet, what we'll say. I'm rather proud of us, aren't you? I think we've done rather well. Oh, my God. So, yeah, definitely seems like a platonic, non-romantic 
relationship between two women friends, right? <laughs> They're roommates. <laughs> Love to start with a gay one. Thank you so much, Hope. God. <laughs> Makes me so um, happy. <laughs> I think you mean a roommate's one, but we'll keep it. We'll, okay. You know. All right. Yes. We'll redact the, the words gay out of this. <laughs> My next um, entry into the discourse here also is gay. Yes. Um, it is a fanfic called Quit Stalin and Kiss Me. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> it's pretty long. It's like four chapters. Uh, it features a lot of um, prominent leftist theorists and that we will be talking about. So I thought it would be good to kind of, you know, introduce the characters, <laughs> so to speak. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I did pick out a few particularly great excerpts from it. Um, background, it is set in dialectics high school. Yes. Mark <laughs> is one of the teachers and the like uh, coach of the debate team. And then pretty much all the other, like, leftist theorists are students <laughs> at Dialectics High School. Um, Incredible. <laughs> so that's the background you need to know since I'm not going to read the whole thing. And then uh, here's the first. So this is from Chapter 1. After class, the debate team met in room 420. It was a big classroom, but it perpetually smelled dank and moldy. When it rained, they usually had to put buckets under the leaks in the ceiling. The administration wasn't too keen on Mr. Marks, especially Vice Principal Adam Smith. Even though he was several years away from tenure, Marks often went to board meetings to demand things like newer books and instruments for the marching band. Leon, Vlad, and Joseph sat up, set up the room in preparation for the meeting. We really need to hold elections sometime this month, said Vlad. Emma graduated, so we really need another treasurer. Didn't you have the hots for her trots, said Joseph, grinning. Leon turned so he couldn't see his face go red. Don't tease him, sighed Vlad. He could already see his, this turning into another fight. He liked both of them, but Vlad had to constantly intervene to make sure Joseph and Leon didn't rip each other into pieces. Leon shrugged and continued arranging chairs. She was okay, good treasurer, but her politics were weird, he muttered. Hopefully that was enough to satisfy Joseph. I definitely remember you asking her out, said Joseph. And you were all sad and whatever when she ended up taking that uh, Bakunin weirdo to her senior prom. They were so cute with the red and black dress and tie thing going on. Total goths, he laughed. I'm surprised they didn't go in combat boots or something. <laughs> yeah, well, not everyone is a meathead like you, replied Leon. Emma Goldman wasn't even here anymore, and he still felt he had to defend her somehow, especially because she wasn't fond of Joseph at all. <sighs> not everyone's some freaking track star or whatever you do. <clears throat> <laughs> So that is excerpt one. The next one is much shorter. I just needed to read this one because it's maybe one of the funniest parts of this whole thing. But also I need a drink because this is uh, a lot of reading. Yeah. I'm currently drinking a hot toddy okay. because I've been attacked by the plague. Ooh, I'm drinking a little uh, mate. Mm. So, okay, this is the second part. Oh my God, it's too funny. The yelling stopped suddenly. Suddenly, a voice boomed. Your waifu is shit. Shit, I tell you. Angry footsteps echoed toward the debate club. It was Ayn <laughs> Rand. Her face reported <laughs> in anger. She stormed past the door, then stopped and returned to glare at the debate team. What the fuck are you liberals looking at? She snarled. <laughs> they stood in stunned silence for a moment. Finally, Joseph, who loved provoking the anime nerds, spoke up. You seem a little mad, Ayn. Maybe you should go get a drink at the Fountainhead or something. Cool off. Read some mangoes or something. Arg, you fool. You fucking casual. It's called manga. She screamed, storming off even angrier than before. She ran past an extremely confused but amused Mao Zedong, who was just arriving to the meeting. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my. Okay. One, first, thank you for doing the stellar, deep research that produced oh, yes. these gems. Absolutely. Two, I really like this part. The yelling stopped suddenly. Suddenly a voice boomed. Everything is very sudden. Yes. Very sudden. Um, so throughout this fanfic, Stalin and Trotsky start carpooling to school. They have a lot of, like, these little playful teasing moments of each Ooh. other. There's, like, tension building. And the debate team goes on to defeat the neoliberal high school debate team. 
And so they're planning this like after party. So I don't think I'll read this whole one just because this is kind of a lot of reading, but I don't know. I think you got to. Okay, never mind. I'll read it. (laughs) (laughs) So this is them trying to plan the after party. Who's in charge of jello shots? Asked Joseph. Leon shrugged. I guess Vlad's getting the alcohol again. I think if you grew out your beard, you'd look old enough to buy us alcohol so the guys at the store don't get suspicious. Mm-hmm. Well, if you like my beard, maybe I should grow it out. Leon's palms began to sweat. Sometimes Joseph said things that made his heart beat a little faster than usual. Maybe it was because he was such an assertive guy. He rarely appeared nervous or self-conscious to the point where most people assumed he was just arrogant. Leon realized Joseph's arrogance wasn't just a front. He really did handle all aspects of his life with the same kind of fire. And as we know, Leon was a Leo. Okay, anyway. Yes. (laughs) Leon, on the other hand, worried about everything. He took himself far too seriously at times, which meant he was often stiff and inflexible. Unlike Vlad, who rarely lost his serious expression even when angry, Leon would often passionately defend himself instead of simply dismissing ludicrous accusations. He had a difficult time dealing with criticism and failure. For that reason, he admired Vlad and was now beginning to appreciate Joseph's determined yet carefree attitude. Yet, that wasn't exactly why he felt so strange around him. Leon never felt this way with Vlad. Something about Joseph made him incredibly anxious, but it was an almost positive way. (laughs) Dude, you just look older with the beard. Am I looking too much into it? Asked Joseph. Suddenly he stopped. I'm serious about the college thing, by the way. Which is about them going to college together. Uh, Leon's face burned. Go to the same college as Joseph? Surely he wasn't just being environmentally friendly. Oh my. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then finally, as it is called, quit Stalin and kiss me. Um, (laughs) As you may have guessed, this story does culminate in the kiss. (laughs) Okay. So now they're at the after party, and alas. He went outside for a breath of fresh air and for some peace and quiet. Leon liked his friends, but he wasn't very comfortable at large get-togethers. The doors opened behind him. Joseph stumbled out, grinning. Why'd you run away, he asked, nudging him with his shoulder. I was looking for you. Leon shrugged, shivering. He was drunk, but not enough to ignore the chilly night air. It got too hot in there, but now it's too cold, he said, laughing. Is it cold? I didn't notice. That's because you're a freak and also drunk. Joseph laughed, almost giggling. Let me warm you up before going inside, he said, grabbing Leon's hands his and lacing their fingers together. Romantic. (laughs) Leon's hands were cold, but they were sweating like it was the middle of summer. This is normal, he thought to himself. Joseph does this with everyone. He's just messing with me. What? (laughs) (laughs) They stood there quietly. Joseph put his head on Leon's shoulder and sighed. He moved in slowly, and Leon could smell the alcohol on his breath. Can I kiss you? Leon closed his eyes as their lips met. They kissed, slow and messy like drunk teenagers. Leon couldn't help but shudder when Joseph pulled him in closer, his hands settling on his lower back. Joseph pulled away from him, grinning. You're a better kisser than I thought, he murmured. Leon was too flustered to even get annoyed. His head was swimming, either from the alcohol or from Joseph's kiss. You're much better than I thought. He said shyly. (laughs) Joseph laughed softly. Kiss me again. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) He was holding my hands with his clammy, sweaty, drunk teenager (laughs) hands. But he just does this with everyone is my favorite part. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, You'll definitely put the description for people to read. Yes. Oh my god, powerful. Truly powerful. <laughs> I also am really glad to have a romantic sext in my back pocket now that I can send to my mm. partner on Valentine's Day when I can be like, quit stalling and kiss me. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Um, So back to some gay shit. I mean, I guess we never really left any gay shit at this point, but... Um, continuing with the continuing gay with, shit. With, with our gay shit. So people know Virginia Woolf, um, an author, a feminist, an inspiration. Um, (laughs) She uh, and this woman named Vita Sackville-West exchanged letters um, for most of their life. So they had an affair 
I think for three years from 1926 to 1929, but they continued to stay close. And um, even in the time leading up right to Virginia Woolf's suicide, she had been writing um, Vita Sackville West still. And even those letters, even after the affair was over, were like very dreamy and romantic. But I thought that I would read uh, just one exchange back and forth from these two women in January 1926. And also the, these, these letters are what inspired um, Virginia Woolf's novel Orlando. So if you haven't read Orlando, which I have not, uh, full disclosure, but I want to after learning about all of this. Um, so this first one was from Vita to Virginia. I am reduced to a thing that wants Virginia. I composed a beautiful letter to you in the sleepless nightmare hours of the night, and it has all gone. I just miss you in a quite simple, desperate human way. You, with all your undumb letters, would never write so elementary a phrase as that. Perhaps you wouldn't even feel it. And yet, I believe you'll be sensible of a little gap, but you'd clothe it in so exquisite a phrase that it would lose, its, lose a little of its reality. Whereas with me, it is quite stark. I miss you even more than I could have believed. And I was prepared to miss you a good deal. So this letter is just really a squeal of pain. It is incredible how essential to me you have become. I suppose you are accustomed to people saying these things. Damn you, spoilt creature. I shan't make you love me any the more by giving myself away like this. But oh, my dear, I can't be clever and standoffish with you. I love you too much for that. Too truly. You have no idea how standoffish I can be with people I don't love. I have brought it to a fine art. But you have broken down my defenses, and I don't really resent it. Please forgive me for writing such a miserable letter. V. <laughs> so, um, next we have the response. Oh. I know, very, very moving. Also, like, anyone who has a straight take on that, like, I don't understand. <laughs> Um, also more things I want to take from this I want to start ending my work emails with please forgive me for writing such a miserable email yes <laughs> please forgive me yes great um, okay so this is now from Virginia Woolf to Vita your letter from Treese came this morning but why do you think I don't feel or that I always make phrases quote, lovely phrases, unquote, you say, which rob things of reality. Just the opposite. Always, 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 I try to say what I feel. Will you then believe that after you went last Tuesday, exactly a week ago, out I went into the slums of Bloomsbury to find a barrel organ? But it did not make me cheerful. And ever since, nothing has happened. Somehow it's dull and damp. I have been dull... I have missed you. I do miss you. I shall miss you. And if you don't believe it, you're a long-eared owl and ass. Lovely phrases. But of course, to return to your letter, I always knew about your standoffishness. Only I said to myself, I insist upon kindness. With this aim in view, I came to Longbarn. Open the top button of your jersey and you will see, nestling inside, a lively squirrel with the most inquisitive habits. But a dear creature, all the same. <laughs> you know, I just love them. Beautiful, and it's also like, like, it it to me reads like someone having a little bit of insecurity, being like, Ugh, I feel all these things about you, but I feel weird about telling you, and the other person's just like, shut up, just tell me it's great, and I love to hear it. <laughs> Here for it. So as we discussed on our Revolutionary Romance episode, the second one, Frida Kahlo, is definitely a romantic. Um, she sent a lot of steamy letters both uh, to Diego, her, like, kind of, you know, long-term love, and uh, Trotsky, who she had an affair with. But Trotsky has gotten enough attention already today. So, yes. um, <laughs> so this is one of her letters to Diego. Diego, nothing compares to your hands, nothing like the green gold of your eyes, 
My body is filled with you for days and days. You are the mirror of the night, the violent flash of lightning, the dampness of the earth, the hot, the dams of the earth. <laughs> the hollow of your armpits is my shelter. My fingers touch your blood. All my joy is to feel life spring from your flower fountain than mine keeps to fill all the paths of my nerves, which are yours. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so that's that. <laughs> wow. Pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Very if powerful. anybody ever wrote me like a text message when I was dating that said my body is filled with you for days and days and days I think I would have died like I cannot even imagine getting something like that right (laughs) I also feel like um nothing compares to your hands is is uh, a compliment lesbians make to each other and so I love (laughs) this because it's like I don't know. I, I'm taking I'm interpreting it as sexual and I love that she's saying it to a man. <laughs> um, the hollow of your armpits is my shelter is also an interesting one. Yeah. Well, it's like in Sex in the City, there's that whole episode where Carrie refers to uh, it was. um. Oh, my God. What is the name of her boyfriend? Anyway, she's like, it's the nook. And then she cheats on him and she's like, I'm trying to get back the nook and it doesn't feel the same. And that's basically his armpit is her shelter. Wow. Powerful. So, yeah, Yeah. maybe this um, Valentine's Day, if um, our listeners want to try an experiment, send to your beloved uh, consensual Mm -hmm. text that says the hollow of your armpits is my shelter and see what they say. Yeah, just see what happens. Send it it (laughs) off. (laughs) so next up we have um fan favorite and by fan favorite i mean personally a favorite um (laughs) rosa luxembourg who is a thought a hundred percent um i don't know if any of y'all have read red rosa but it's like i mean there's just a lot of documentation about all of the lovers that rosa had no am i right that, that thought stands for that hero over there I mean, it. Yeah, I. Uh, yes, yes, you're correct. <laughs> you did, did you, like thought is an acronym, right? It's it's that hoe over there. Yeah, that's no. I think it's hero. Exactly. I'm very sure. It's yes. Okay. Perfect. Hero. Just just wanted to make. Sure, I couldn't tell. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I want to just be like, yes, of course. <laughs> um, definitely not hoe. It's definitely hero. Please continue. Yeah, I mean, yeah. hoes are hoes. Hoes is heroes. Okay. Yeah. Well, True. Rosa is a Pisces icon. Yes. Um, so, but that being said, Rosa Luxemburg did write about a thousand letters to Leo Jogikas. <laughs> Jogikas? I don't know. Uh, but essentially, there are a ton of like passionate, passionate letters to this dude, Leo. And one which has some words that I'm not going to be able to pronounce, but we're going to go for it anyways. She says, Dio Dio, which is a pet name for him. I can't wait. I want it now. My golden one, I can't stand it any longer. Let me kiss your sweet mouth and the tip of your nose. May I touch it with my little finger? (laughs) I just love that. (laughs) Because it's so ridiculous. Um But another passage I wanted to read from her, which was a letter to a different lover, uh, Kostya, um, where she's essentially confronting him because she's realizing he's not in love with her anymore. Um, and, And while this is not maybe in the same vein as all the other ones I we've read so far. Uh, I just felt like it was so powerful because men are such cowards when it comes to like tiptoeing around their feelings. And I've like reading this encounter from her, it resonates for me from like many women I've known having to like confront people in their lives being like, it's obvious you are no longer feeling this way and you're not even fucking coming out and saying it. But here's what... Uh, Rosa says I ask you for just one thing if you no longer love me say it to me openly in just three words I will certainly not utter the slightest reproach against you after all you can't do anything about it and it must come out someday 
but be open. You owe it to the concept of having truth in life. And also out of consideration for me. I kiss you and kiss you, even if it's for the last time, my dear sweet love. Um, so that's like this first one from Luxembourg Letters. Um, but then she kind of goes on. Things have turned out as I said to you in the beginning. You forced me to love you because of your love. And if your love were to fade away into nothingness, that would happen with mine too. It pained me that I didn't relieve you of this burden earlier. I felt pained by the angry and tormented looks of a captured baby bird, but I never dared to say the emancipating word because inwardly I regarded our relationship as a sacred and serious matter. You poor youngster, you felt you were trapped when at any moment the little slightest word could have freed you, as you now certainly see, and when in reality I was the trapped one because the memory of a soft pleading stammer be true to me, be true to me, and a letter pleading, don't leave me, don't abandon me, held me like a chain of iron. I'm going to make work with pleasure and love, and I'm determined to bring more strictness, clarity, and chasteness into my life. This conception of life for me has grown to maturity in dealing with you, and therefore it is fitting for you to hear these words. Also, now you are free as a bird, and may you be happy. <laughs> Yeah, I just <laughs> I just feel like it's kind of a boss move to be like, yes, this is sad, whatever, whatever. But like, honestly, it's more upsetting that you're just like clinging on to this dead love. And I appreciate it. Yeah. Wise as always for Rosa. Yes. I also have part of a Rosa letter to read from the book, The Letters of Rosa Luxemburg, which is a massive book. And I just went to the index and searched for love. Um, so this is her writing to her friend, like talking about love. To her friend, Sophie Liebknecht. Don't talk to me about hysterical ladies, in quotes. Uh, my little chickadee, don't you understand? Haven't you noticed that to add to your misfortune, our best women friends are also suffering? Look at the eyes of poor Marta Rosenbaum, in which such a nameless sorrow lies and such inexpressible anxiety and fear. Fear that life's storehouses have already been closed and the reality of life has not been touched or enjoyed to the full. And Louise... When I first got to know her, she was quite a different person than she is now. Robust, content, almost thick-skinned, and quite mature. Since then, sorrow and the strain of dealing with people other than her husband have turned her into a soft and overly sensitive being. Look in her eyes how much astounded shock, restlessness, groping, and searching, and painful disillusion disillusionment there is. And all that is the same thing you complain about. I don't bring this all up to offer you insipid consolation to the effect that since other people also suffer, you should forget your own suffering. I know that for every person, for every creature, one's own life is the only single possession one really has. And with every little fly that one carelessly swats and crushes, the entire world comes to an end. In the refracting eye of the little fly, it is the same as if the end of the world had destroyed all life. No. The reason I tell you about other women is precisely so that you will not underestimate and disregard your own pain, so that you won't misunderstand yourself and won't have a distorted picture of who you are. Oh, how well I understand that for you, every lovely melody, every flower, every spring day, every moonlit night represents a longing for and allurement toward the greatest beauty the world has to offer. And how well I understand that you are in love with love. Mm -hmm. To me, it would also it's be me. true that... <laughs> To me, it would also be true that love in itself is always more important and holier than the circumstances that give rise to it, and that it is so because it allows the world to be seen as a shimmering fairy tale, because it brings out the noblest and most beautiful qualities in each person, because it raises up the most ordinary and insignificant details and sets it around with diamonds, and because love makes it possible to live in euphoria, in ecstasy. But little Sonusha, you have not come to the outer limit of life, like Marta and Luis. You are young and beautiful, and in the times to come, you must live right. One only needs to survive these few fatal years, but after that, so much is bound to be different one way or another. You should not and must not close your accounts with life. That's ridiculous. I would still like to immerse you in all the euphoria of the joy of life, and I will firmly defend your right to experience it. Yes. Aww. Yeah, so it's good. very sweet. 
I know. So Pisces. It's interesting because I was doing a lot of Rosa research because I had thought that I found a different one that was like extremely sexy and I wanted it to like rival the Trotsky shit to have one from a woman. Ugh, yes. Because I feel like I remember it, but I couldn't find it. And um, but I came across so many things that was like Rosa was specifically not a feminist or at least she called herself that mostly because she didn't want to. Like, she didn't want to be lumped in with women. I think it's something that we've actually brought up on this podcast before. I know Hope has, where it's like, you know, when you think about your organizing work and if you don't want to work for the Socialist Feminist Working Group, but you want to work on socialist work, like how often as women we feel like we have to do that. And so I thought it was really interesting also that there was like a lot of stuff um, that came up about that when I was looking into this. So... Just yeah, because yeah, I think also, yeah, like a lot of um, like feminist writers are not necessarily considered in the like canon of leftist writers because like they're feminist writers. Um, and mm-hmm. if like a woman writes it, people don't take it as seriously. So, yeah, I think that we see a lot of that. We hate it. <laughs> we hate it. But back to yes. being horny. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's for another episode. It's it's the moment that everyone has been waiting for. So you knew it was coming. It's our favorite Trotsky text. Um, I don't think that any of us identify as Trots, but only when it comes to this specific paragraph <laughs> of writing. Um, since it. Laura and I have both read this on air on other episodes, I think that it's Hope's turn this time. Yes. And we will not stop until every person in the coven has read this <laughs> I'm so excited to read this. And I think the the host of Season of the Bitch that this bothers the most is Kellen. So, Kellen, if you listen to this episode later, you should just skip forward because I don't want to subject you to this again. I think it Kellen, genuinely makes just prepare makes yourself for your own reading of it. It's going to be fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Since I arrived here... My poor prick has not once got hard. It's as if it doesn't exist. It, too, is taking a rest after the tension of the past few days. But I myself, all of me, apart from it, am thinking with tenderness about your sweet old cunt. I want to stuff it, to push my tongue right into its depths. Natalachka, sweetest, I'm going to fuck you hard with my tongue and my prick. <laughs> Ta-da! It never gets old as soon as i hear <laughs> poor prick i'm just like oh, wow i honestly so stoked <laughs> i am thinking with tenderness about your sweet old cunt honestly i want i want everyone to think with tenderness about our cunts <laughs> it's fine uh, well and payback time for that zoe since you made me read something squeamy um, I don't think that's a word, squeamy, but uh, maybe we'll try to make it a thing. Um, it was squeamy. <laughs> squeamy. Um, so, would you read the first three paragraphs of this delightful excerpt from one Bernard Sanders? Um, yeah. Should I read it first and then we'll do the context, or should we talk about it first? Um, you choose your own adventure, Zoe. It's, it's your world here. This was first written about in Mother Jones magazine. I think they were the first ones to dig this up. Wow. So I guess I'll read it first. (laughs) Yeah, just to give a trigger warning, uh, Bernie's uh, text is pretty, uh, what's the word, crass, and there is mention of rape fantasies. So you might want to skip ahead if that is uh, triggering, though it is brief luckily so here goes a man goes home and masturbates his typical fantasy a woman on her knees a woman tied up a woman abused a woman enjoys intercourse with her man as she fantasizes about being raped by three men simultaneously the man and woman get dressed up on sunday and go to church or maybe to their revolutionary political meeting (laughs) i love that revolutionary is in quotes because even then bernie was like this shit isn't revolutionary (laughs) (laughs) you want to hear a revolutionary idea everyday people are into bdsm (laughs) uh yeah so that was from 43 years ago and when asked about it bernie said 
It was very poorly written. And if you read it, what it was dealing with was gender stereotypes. Why some men like to oppress women, why why other women like to be submissive. You know, something like Fifty Shades of Grey. (laughs) (laughs) The whole thing, this is just so strange, like, that he wrote this and it was, like, published somewhere, that it was dug up and they tried to really, like ruin him with this later just all of it is just very strange and it's so badly written Ugh. i kind yeah, of yeah wait what's the title because it's cut off here i think it's called man and woman oh uh clever he should stick to not writing erotica <laughs> <laughs> it's called man and woman by bernard sanders by bernard oh. bernard <laughs> bernard bernard um well frick yeah (laughs) that last paragraph gets me so much maybe to their quote-unquote revolutionary political meeting (laughs) the sanders spokesperson also said quote this was a dumb attempt at dark satire in an alternative publication intended to attack gender stereotypes in the 70s and it looks as stupid today as it looked then yes (laughs) amazing there's literally no better (laughs) possible response (laughs) Uh, yep so i thought we'd move on to my bae emma goldman um if anyone has been listening to this podcast for long enough they know that i have a deep deep love for emma goldman um i thought that i would give an excerpt from uh emma's essay that she wrote in 1914 called marriage and love Um, And so just as like some background, because this is towards the end of the essay, uh, she starts it by kind of detailing how how it is her belief that marriage sucks any real love out of a relationship because uh, it gives more power to the state and more power to church and these sorts of things, um, as well as kind of like uphold some sort of uh, hierarchy. So here we go. Love. The strongest and deepest element in all life. The harbinger of hope, of joy, of ecstasy. Love, the defier of all laws, of all conventions. Love, the freest, the most powerful molder of human destiny. How can such an all-compelling force be synonymous with that poor little state and church-begotten weed marriage? Free love, as if love is anything but free. Man has brought, bought brains, but all the millions in the world have failed to buy love. Man has subdued bodies, but all the power on earth has been unable to subdue love. Man has conquered whole nations, but all his armies could not conquer love. Man has chained and fettered the spirit, but he has been utterly helpless before love. High on a throne, with all the splendor and pomp and his, his gold can command, man is yet poor and desolate if love possesses him by. If it stays, the poorest hovel is radiant with warmth, with life, with color. Thus love has the magic power to make a beggar of a king. Yes, love is free. It can dwell in no other atmosphere. In freedom, it gives itself unreservedly abundantly completely all the laws on the statutes all the courts in the universe cannot tear it from the soil once love has taken root if however the soil is sterile how can marriage make it bear fruit is it, it is like the last desperate struggle of fleeting life against death love needs no protection it is its own protection so long as love begets life no child is deserted or hungry or famished for the want of affection i know this to be true i know women who became mothers in freedom by the men they love few women in wedlock enjoy the care protection and the devotion free motherhood is capable of bestowing (laughs) amazing reading wow (laughs) It's a, it's a very, you know, Emma's never one to mince words. She really says how she feels, <laughs> which I, which I really appreciate about her. 
The dramatic read was really the way to go on that one. Mm, thank yeah, you that so was much. wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so the next thing I want to read is not historical per se, but they are very on brand for us. Um, so it's from this book called New Erotica for Feminists, which was written by the creators of Belladonna. Um, if you're not familiar with Belladonna, it's a satire site similar to The Onion, but it's all writers who are not cis men. Um, it's very funny, like kind of similar to Reductress. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, so I just want to read a couple. They're super short um, and they're very silly. Yeah. So this is the first one. Why don't we invite over your friends? He suggests testing the waters. There's nothing I love more than watching two women in sweatpants engaging in hot political discourse. I fantasize about how you each... He pauses suddenly, shy. Always let each other finish without interrupting. I'll make nachos. <laughs> <laughs> I really love it. Um, and then That's I'm just going to read <laughs> one other one. A stranger at a bar introduces himself, and the conversation is flowing. He leans in close and murmurs throatily, Would you like to get out of here and go to my place? Oh, I'm gay, I reply. That's cool. He signals the bartender for another drink. I've enjoyed talking to you. I won't try to convince you that you need to sleep with a man to know if you're really gay because only a huge jerk would do that. Anyway, did you think Dunkirk was confusing? Uh, oh, my God. Oh, that's it. <laughs> I love it. Aww. Yeah, there's a lot of just, like, little silly um, ones of those. So, anyway. Those are so cute. Incredible. <laughs> So I thought, uh, because we have a little extra time, I feel like if we're if we're roasting all of these historical sex references, I thought we could integrate uh, a self roast into this. Um, I have a couple of astrology books with me, uh, and there are two different ones, and they both have short excerpts on what sex is like with uh with different signs and so i thought we could read it for each of our signs um so i also got out my astrology of love and sex book for this occasion oh my god amazing well <laughs> so then i also have uh i got a new book called queer cosmos and it has um it has a breakdown of how each each planet is in each sign. So, for example, Mars is the planet of sex and aggression. And um, I felt like that is actually probably a more accurate representation of how each of us are sexually. Um, Zoe, do you want to read the sex ones from the, the Astrology of Love and Sex ones so that I'm not just talking the whole time? Yeah, so are we going to read it of our Mars signs? No, so I would read so it. Read this, read the sun. Yeah, read it for the sun. Okay. It's because it's very different from our Mars, at least for me. And Zoe's are the same, so won't be too different. But <laughs> <laughs> um, for, for me and Hope, it's going to be quite different. <laughs> so I can read my Mars after you read your, you read my sun. Perfect. Okay, so this is Aries' sex life. Passionate Aries loves to have sex and doesn't want to wait long to do it. They immerse themselves fully in sex. Loud, hard, dirty, fast, and full of fireworks is typical Aries lovemaking. Aries is fine with quickies as long as there are many of them. They don't want to go long between lovemaking sessions. And while a quickie is cool, a night full of passion is still what their heart desires. So make sure to enjoy plenty of long evenings with your ram. They crave fire. I have never read this part of this book before. <laughs> they crave fireworks and a fireworks show that only lasts a few short minutes is lame. Have a big imagination. Sex is a form of escape from the pressures of everyday life for Aries, and they enjoy fantasy between the sheets. That said, opening up about their kinks can be hard for them unless they know you won't judge them. So show yourself to be open-minded. Tough Aries doesn't get a chance to be vulnerable every day, so keep that in mind when they share something private with you. Aries is the sign that rules the head, and yes, they've got a lot of intense stuff going on in their minds, even if they seem so confident on the outside. Sex is a form of healing for them, and they find lovemaking and its ability to ground them in their bodies and to explore their psyches through role play highly therapeutic. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say to all that. 
Also, under turnoffs, it says energetic Aries doesn't want a lazy lover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. it's interesting because I am a person who has some sexual trauma, and I, so I do think that influences this, but in general, mm-hmm. when I'm very into someone, yeah, this is not that far off. Um <laughs> But also for those of you, those of you that are curious, or this is from the book "The Astrology of Love and Sex" um, by Annabel Gatt, um, and the drawings in it are incredible. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's like a very beautiful book, which I think we were talking about doing like a whole episode of it on Roasted, perhaps. Perhaps, yeah, I'm down. So that that might happen, but yeah, it's like a very beautiful book. I love it. So this one is called Queer Cosmos, which I. Oh my God, I've been obsessed with it. I just got it for my cousin and I love it because in a lot of astrology books, they still kind of subscribe to heteronormative stuff. And so Colin Bedell wrote this book and it's amazing. And so again, Mars is the planet of sex and aggression. Um, He makes a point in the beginning of the book in the introduction to suggest that like sometimes astrologers think of Mars as like, power over but he describes it as power with which i really liked um but yes so my mars is in aquarius here it goes make love not war you want nothing to do with impulsive reactive conflict you're much more inclined to engage with personal disagreement from a space of calm the only broken boundary that sets you off into a rage is a crime against humanity which speaks well of you. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Roasted. So get to the protest, call your politicians, and expand awareness. In erotic spaces, you're the initiator of the distance necessary to make your suitors feel like they haven't quite figured you out. There's still discovery left to be done, which keeps the spark, chemistry, and desire burning hot. <laughs> Yeah, I feel absolutely roasted by that. (laughs) Roasted. We don't even need to roast you. The book did it for us. It's true. It's very true. (laughs) But yeah, let's do hope. So hope is a Scorpio sun, uh, which Mm -hmm. we love to see. um, And a Virgo Mars. Yes. So this is um, sex with a Scorpio. Everyone's heard about sexy Scorpio, the most alluring sign in the Zodiac. Their reputation seems like a lot to live up to, but they don't have a hard time keeping up with it at all. To Scorpios, sex is a merging of souls, a powerfully spiritual experience. They are intense lovers, very passionate, and they put every inch of their being into their lovemaking. During masturbation, the union they achieve with their inner truth is one that's healing and often is an important part of their spiritual practice, too. Scorpio typically loves kink and will likely have a few books about BDSM, S&M, or fetishes in their library, as well or as the writings whole- of one Bernard Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> as yes. well as a whole trunk filled with toys. Scorpio is intense, and kinky sex can lead to altered states of consciousness and psychological benefits for them. Even a Scorpion who doesn't necessarily want to do anything this kinky. Is scorpion. Scorpion. <laughs> doesn't necessarily want to do anything kinky in bed will usually enjoy talking about kinks and will at least likely be up for exploring yours by attending workshops together going shopping for sex toys or just listening to your stories about whatever it is you're interested in if you're more vanilla in bed then scorpio be sure not to kink shame them when you're setting the scene for sex with Scorpio, be sure to bring plenty of drama to the bedroom. Silk or velvet sheets, expensive lingerie, a roaring fireplace, and some mirrors on the ceiling. Also, I just want to add that this episode was Hope's idea, so this all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and the Aries and the Sagittarius were like, yes, we'll be on it. So that also says things about us. <laughs> Oh, that's so great. <laughs> Frick <Yep>. yeah. Well, <laughs> well, that was wonderful. Thank you for reading those. That was such a nice addition. Yes. Well, now we have your Mars. Your Mars is in Virgo. Are you ready? 
I'm I'm ready. Hang on. Let me. I've got a mirror on my ceiling. Let me just light my fireplace yes. and put my silk robe on. I'm ready. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> you're a superhero. With the red planet touring through Virgo, you were born with the capacity for extreme multitasking and efficiency. In the matters of conflict, you may arrive late to the party. Since you're often in motion and in service, you may not register when a boundary was broken or when you're avoiding conflict altogether. Practice your tolerance level with discomfort by practicing conflict resolution with situations you consider unjust. You're happy to take your follow-through to the bedroom, where you love to give pleasure. You're happy to initiate it, and you're just as happy to receive it. You can intuit your partner's preferences and make it happen. That's a nice one. Yeah. <laughs> Except for the part about having to be uncomfortable. I hate that. I don't want to, to be uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Also, maybe it's because um, the baby is making us watch a lot of Daria, but I thought you read some of that a lot, like the way Daria narrates the show. <laughs> like, maybe you should try bringing to the bedroom some sense of conflict resolution. <laughs> it was like very <laughs> daria and i loved it i mean honestly cool here for it (laughs) daria is the dumbest icon yes yeah it's the only show that the baby wants to watch and she demands it by singing la 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 in like an exasperated way my god that's incredible so cute it's the only thing she wants to watch at least she likes a good show Oh, yeah. But we've already watched every episode, like, twice. (laughs) It's on Hulu. (laughs) Wow. This was great. Important. All right, Zoe. Last but not least. So, as you might know if you listen to the podcast, (laughs) um, I am a Sagittarius, (laughs) and my Mars is also in Sagittarius. So, here we go. Sagittarius want to live life to the fullest, and that includes fucking. I love that they used fucking because I was thinking earlier that I hated how it used love making for the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I knew that about you as a Sagittarius. That's like uh, just like the term like love making is like a little cringy for me, but that, that's a me problem. So I'll continue. It's a Sagittarius thing. <laughs> <laughs> Sex should be big, loud, and passionate. But as fun loving as Sagittarius might be, there is a deeper side to them. One that you might not see if you just have a casual romp with a Sag. And they do have many. Oh, my God. I'm so roasted. (laughs) (laughs) They crave safety and security in the bedroom. Much more than they realize when they first begin having sex. I can't read this. It's too true. (laughs) Okay. Feeling protected and safe unlocks deep sexual fulfillment for them. Sex and masturbation are a big part of how they ground and center. How they strengthen their aura and how they move through life while balancing all the emotions these adventurous people face on their journey. Remember, more is more to Sagittarius. When you're setting the scene for lovemaking, don't just bring one bottle of wine. Take them to a whole winery. Deck out the room in their element. Fire. Candles are fine, but a roaring fireplace is better. Ooh, Ooh. we both need roaring fireplaces. Fireworks in the night sky are best. I actually don't really like fireworks. They kind of scare me. Like I'm like a puppy. Um, <laughs> an airplane bathroom works too if you two are fine with tight spaces. Um, fire signs thrive on drama and spontaneity. Ooh. Um, I have had sex in a bathroom. How are you supposed to have a fireplace in an airplane bathroom? This is my question. This is. I mean, I'm asking for a lot here. I have high standards. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Sagittarius curse, but we support you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um <laughs> Okay, so then we have Marge Mar Marge. Mars in Sagittarius. Um which oh. just as if people just a little tiny piece of um astrology one oh one, um there are four elements that make up the astrological zodiac. Um, So there are fire signs, earth signs, water signs, and air signs. Um, And and Mars being the planet of aggression and of sex, it is generally associated with the element fire 
Uh, it is also the planet that rules both Scorpio and Aries, so both Hope and my sun signs. But uh, all that to say, having a fire placement <laughs> in Mars is crazy. It's intense. <laughs> so I literally saw it today that was like uh, everyone with a fire placement Mars is just crazy, huh? And I was like, wow. <laughs> So, yeah, so for, again, for context, uh, Hope's Mars was in an Earth sign, Virgo, and my Mars was in an air sign, Aquarius. So here we go. Uh, Mars in Sagittarius for Zoe. Mars loves to burn bright through a fire sign. <laughs> Whoa, I didn't even read that before I said all that. Anyway. <laughs> and when the warrior god is blazing through Sagittarius, your ambitions are international, educational, and resourceful. You're motivated to learn what exists far beyond your comfort zone, and this Mars placement gives you the gumption to explore just that. On the level of conflict, your temper may flare, but you have you can be reached through dialogue and reason, and you're not one to hold a grudge. <laughs> this is a transformative Mars placement that can help anger turn into compromise easily. In the bedroom, you're hungry for adventure, spontaneity, and passion. You want to imagine sexuality as a place with no final frontier, because it is. Keep the imagination running wild, and you'll be happy again and again. Well, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing left to be said. (laughs) Honestly, you know, what a great way to end this. (laughs) (laughs) Powerful. Um, well, yeah, that's called that. out, roasted, called out and roasted. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. <laughs> uh, if if you are feeling really bold, you can always uh, ask me to send you a screenshot of what your Mars says in in that book, because uh, I feel like it is important for everyone to know. <laughs> know your Mars. Yes. Um, yeah. But that's our show. Yeah, so, you know, have a a safe, a very consensual, and a supportive Valentine's Day. Um, You know, and if you're without a sweetie or a a sex buddy this Valentine's Day, who cares? Because time is an illusion and this... The holiday was made up, so <laughs> just enjoy your day and, and know that you're loved by the coven unless you are uh, a bad person. <laughs> anyway, um, as always, you can... love you unless you fucking suck, in which case, hang up now. Hang up. <laughs> in which case, I don't know why you continue to listen to us, honestly, but... Um... No, none of our listeners suck, probably. No, they got to be at least good. Um, (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yes. Uh, One (laughs) announcement is uh, that, so uh, as some of you may know, I was supposed to play a show here locally in Buffalo, New York, um, and it was going to benefit the Bernie campaign. Um, However, I've been sick with the bubonic plague, and had to cancel my set, which was very devastating for me because I also had a write-up in the paper which said, Laura, podcaster, musician, and activist. And I was like, wow, literally the three things that I want to be known for. And anyway, I couldn't even show my face because I was contagious as hell. So we came up with an alternative plan. And by we, I mean Zoe. And uh, we're going to do a live stream where I'll play a show for people on a live stream, either on Twitter or Instagram. We haven't decided yet. And uh, Zoe will be the gatekeeper that I will refuse to play any more songs until people uh, donate to the Bernie Sanders campaign. And then I will continue to play songs. So, yeah, um, it's like Laura's basically going to be like a live jukebox. <laughs> We have yet to work out the details exactly, but it'll be like, you'll have to send us a screenshot of your donation and she'll keep playing and you'll want her to because she's amazing. <laughs> and we'll post about it probably soon. Yes. So, so um, look out. I'm starting to feel better. So that's that's going to be happening soon. And especially as the primaries are war- warming up, um, you know, we're just here to support the most left candidate we can, even though democracy is really tough in the United States. Um <laughs> 
but yeah, anyway, so as always, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Season of the Bee. We're also on Facebook. Um, we are on the interwebs at seasonofthebee.com as well as Gmail at seasonofthebee at gmail.com. Um, we are always happy and truly ecstatic to take your hard-earned cash um, to continue our socialist feminist propaganda uh, on Patreon. Um, there are other perks that you get. If you liked the astrology bit, there's a lot more of that on there. So, And more coming uh, down the pipes as well as a bunch of other things. Um, and please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes because one of our favorite things is to read those reviews. It's really, really nice. <laughs> yeah, and it helps other people find us and love us as well. Yeah. So spread the cheer of Valentine's Day by telling everyone to love us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Love you guys. Love, love you. you. Happy Valentine's. Mwah. Bye. Mwah. Bye. Mwah. Feel better, Laura. Bye. <laughs>